Nick Shit? Come on, Gilmer! Come on, Gilmer! You ain't shit! Get out of the bus! And welcome back to Rate That Album, a weekly podcast where myself, Joseph Fremming, and my good friend, Paul Muadib, we discuss an album, and we rate it, and we talk about the highs, lows, and sometimes the middles. Uh, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, dandy. Dandy, Joe. (laughs) Audience, you hear Paul is a little upset because this week... We are delving into a real shit show of an album. 1987's A Momentary Lapse of Reason by none other than Pink Floyd, my favorite band, and one of the worst albums I've ever heard in my life. It is also in my top favorite band. I I, I would put it at number two. I'd put it at number two. It was number one. It's now number two. Well, yeah, after you listen to music from The Elder, Kiss just skyrocketed. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to circle back to that towards the end, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get into this, Paul? Shall we discuss Lawsuit, the album? Oh, God. Yeah, I'll let you start. You know, I'm going to let you take this. Both you and I talked about this off-air um, audience. Both Joe and I are, like, Pink Floyd fanatics. We've read documentaries, things like this, so... There's a lot that went on with this album, so I might chime in as Joe tells the story, but don't go anywhere because the story of this album is insane. Yes. <clears throat> so it's the mid-80s. The last uh, album Pink Floyd has released was in 1983. It's the final cut. Basically a Roger Waters solo album. If you look at the album art, it even says, by Roger Waters, performed by Pink Floyd. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like... The, the album we're going to discuss, the sh- both of these should have just been labeled solo albums because that is essentially what they are. Uh, by the time, uh, I believe it's in the 1986, after some unsuccessful attempts at solo work, uh, David Gilmore and Nick Mason want to get the band back together, which is funny because uh, the, la- the wall, Pink Floyd's The Wall, hugely successful, destroyed this band. <laughs> destroyed them. They fired longtime keyboardist founding member Richard Wright. Joe, why did they fire him? Cocaine. Mm-hmm. Drug abuse. He was a massive coker and they couldn't kind of keep him on target. Yeah. But funny fact, they hired him as uh, a touring musician for the live shows and he's the only one of Pink Floyd who made a profit off the wall tour. <laughs> So funny. That's so funny. So we we're going now to the mid '80s. Like I said, Gilmore and Mason want to get the band back together, uh, and Roger Waters has no interest. He says they're Pink Floyd's uh, a spent creative force. Which, especially if you listen to this album, and you know, I know you're a fan of his solo work, but Roger Waters' '80s solo projects 
everybody in this band was a spent force. Um, what they do to get Waters back on board, like what anybody wants to do when they want to get an old friend to get together, to hash things out, is they threaten a lawsuit. <laughs> so what the lawsuit basically says is, uh, since they're under contract, Waters is stonewalling them from putting out another album, which would result in Waters being sued by the record label and his bandmates, which he said would have ruined him. He decides to step away. He officially leaves the band, which Gilmore and Mason interpret as means they can go forward. This is not what Roger Waters intended. <laughs> uh, no. And, and I want to point out here that the true only founding member of the band at this point left is Nick Mason. I want to point yes. that out. He's the only one who appears on every single album. Mm-hmm. It, although his uh, appearances on this uh, album we're discussing is minimal at best. Minimal at best. So, yes. Uh, this ensues lawsuits over who owns the name Pink Floyd, who has the rights to continue on. It's, it's pretty ugly uh, to the point where on Roger Waters' solo tours, he was selling t-shirts that said which one's pink i agree david gilmer had has countered over the years that just claiming you are pink floyd which roger waters was kind of claiming is absurd and i agree because this is a band that uh there's two important elements here one is the visionary and one the other is the music mm-hmm. waters was the visionary gilmer was the music and it worked very very well I mean, obviously, they're one of the biggest bands of all time. And I want to point out that in the beginning of Pink Floyd, neither one of these two men were visionary anything (laughs) or musically anything. No, Sid Barrett, uh, by this time, long in seclusion, dealing with his uh, mental health issues. He's basically he coined the name. He started he he was the innovator of what, you know, eventually evolved into their sound. Uh, he, in fact, he was a childhood friend of David Gilmore's and, you know, taught him, you know, they taught each other how to play guitar and, as young men. And that's another element of Pink Floyd that I think people need to understand is everybody in this band, they did, they weren't like childhood friends, like say the Beatles or, you know, a lot of other bands. It's usually like a group of friends getting together. These were people who really just knew, met each other in college. <laughs> So it's not like they have like this a whole lot of familiar bonds between them. And my correct me if I'm wrong. Now there has been a lot of books and documentaries written and um, unauthorized biographies written about um, Pink Floyd. And my understanding is that they also weren't the nicest to each other at all during touring. No, uh, they uh, on the wall they had uh, their trailers were all like in a circle each facing in the opposite direction so they didn't have to see each other. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of that comes from the recreating of the wall. And we could get into that down the road when we actually discuss the we wall. Ever do a, a rated album that wall, because that's a whole can of worms. But at this point, yeah, like, uh, everything's everything between the member, between Gilmore and Waters is just on the fritz. And with the idea of them continuing on, <sighs> this creates lawsuits of waters suing the band over, like I said, who owns 
who is the intellectual property owner of Pink Floyd. Really ugly stuff. As this is going on, Gilmore's recording these demos. Uh, and he's unsure if this is going to be a third solo album or a proper Pink Floyd album. The label initially says, you know, you're going to sell more copies if you call it Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. So he decides, okay, we will do that then, which again creates a n- more <laughs> legal hurdles for them down the road. Uh, and they bring in Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin, if you remember, he's <laughs> a gentleman from Music from the Elder by Kiss. Ian, he's an erratic kind of guy, and he has visions and for how albums should sound, and they're not always good. <laughs> and at this point, mm-hmm. he's being courted by Waters and Gilmore. This time, Roger Waters is recording Radio Chaos. Ezrin sides with Gilmore. He's like, it's easier for him to make a Floyd album with David Gilmore than it is Roger Waters, which, musically speaking, yes. Uh, Yes. Gilmore and Richard Wright were very much the music of Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, the problem here is we don't have a creative visionary. We don't have a vision. Long story short, we end up with them recording an album of synth pop Bullshit. <laughs> Ma- almost masqueraded as a concept album, which it very much is not. Mm-hmm. Musically, it's not the strongest. It does have its moments. Lyrically, it shits the bed. And this is what happens. We can get into it, but basically, if you're going to continue on Pink Floyd, you got to find another lyricist because Gilmore, for the life of him, cannot write. And you have to find someone that can. Okay. Well, we'll get in because <laughs> I still want to stay in the history of this. I I, I want to talk about the music of it um, when we get there. But you're absolutely right. Yes, you got to find. You have to bring someone in that's not doing that's not been doing blow with uh, with members of Kiss for nine years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to state uh, in an, <laughs> in a meeting for this album. <laughs> <laughs> a CBS Records representative tells Gilmore and Ezrin the music doesn't sound like a fucking thing like Pink Floyd. <laughs> right, right. And that's a problem when we just talked about, well, musically, Roger uh, Gilmore and Rick Wright were the music of it. So there's something else that's getting lost there, and we'll talk about that. But, yeah, not only that, but I want to bring up the point that at this time, prior to this album, both Rodders and Gilmore put out solo albums called um, Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, where Roger Rodders brought aboard Eric Clapton to um, the guitar work and you know tour with that. And he did another like big stage show for it, like he did with The Wall. And Gilmore did about did this album about face, and the poor ticket sales on Gilmore's end caused him to stop his tour. Meanwhile, Roger Waters was getting less people going to his things. He actually went on a second. He was actually made enough money where he took Proza Hokanza hitchhiking on a second trip, and CBS Records was like, "We're out, man. We want a Pink Floyd album." Yeah. So the label wants another Pink Floyd album. Yep. Yep. Uh, 
again, and for him to not be sued into oblivion, Waters had to officially leave the band. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty much the story. And the legal disputes went on even after this album's released. It's they settled it out of court. It's still a major sticking point. Basically, this album, I, my guess is if Gilmore hadn't done this, we might have gotten another proper Pink Floyd album mm-hmm. down the road. Yes, I completely we agree with that. You know, that's a big might considering mm-hmm. Roger Waters and how frayed their relationship were. But yeah, so this is essentially Gilmore's third solo album. It sounds like a solo album. When talking about the contributions, Nick Mason and Richard Wright, Richard Wright's hired on as a session musician because of legalities, again, with all Mm -hmm. the lawsuits going on. Mm -hmm. And their playing is minimal on the album. Uh, It's just, Gilmer said they were catatonic. Uh, Mason took issue with that. It it just, it was, this was an album in Pink Floyd's name only. I'll, I'll be a little more forgiving when it comes to the Division Bell and uh, Endless River, because at least you have three of the four main guys from the golden era, at least as full-time members contributing music. I, I give Division Bell, if we ever get, we ever do it, we'll talk about it, but I give Division, Division Bell more of a Pink Floyd poll just because Rick Wright was writing on it. Yeah, because Rick Wright was back in the beginning of Pink Floyd. It was Rick Wright and um, Sid Barrett. Those were the two main writers. And you can feel Rick Wright's writing a little bit in the vision bell. Yeah, you don't feel any of that here. As a matter of fact, the only member of the Pink Floyd group that gets any writing credits at all on this album is Gilmore only. Yep. Yep. And he is, again, he is not a strong lyricist. He commits a, a pretty big dick thing in that he makes them reminiscent of older songs. And we'll get into that here. But uh, yeah, it's... It's a is, big F you. Yeah, it's a big... This album's a mess. It's a legal mess. It, it was birthed out of a lawsuit, inspired many more. Uh, yeah, and some of the other more lawsuits was... Uh, Roger Waters tried to get the name taken away and he lost that lawsuit. Um, that what happens when you leave a band, mm -hmm. you don't really have much ground to stand on. Nope. Nope. So yeah, it's just, and again, what a label company wants, a label company gets. And if you're a Roger Waters solo fan, that should have resonated with you a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So here we are. And again, it wasn't even resolved until after this album came out, which is, you know, this is it's it's a it's probably the darkest period in this band's history. It's also the most embarrassing, I would say. Uh-huh. Uh, Uma Guma wasn't this bad, dude. <laughs> and well, yeah, so let's talk about that. Uh, there's Floyd albums where I'm not particularly fond of, but they have mo- elements I can appreciate. Uma Guma's live album is pretty is solid. Yep. It's not the best recorded, but given the time and where these guys were career-wise, it's not surprising there wasn't a high-quality recording. Yep. Adam Hartmother, I'm not a huge fan of, but I can at least, you know, I appreciate Fat Old Son and some mm-hmm. of the other stuff. I personally uh, love I, I personally love Adam Hartmother. I love that album, but that's me. That's me. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, more didn't really have a whole lot, but there's elements on there I like, you know. Yep. More. This... Um, there's another one, too. Um, uh, uh, Obscured by Clouds has some good songs on it, but it's not a consistent album. Well, that's a movie soundtrack. It's a movie soundtrack along with more. More was a movie soundtrack. Yeah. And they also did Zabriskie Point, too. Z- which... Yeah. Well, that was I thought Zabriskie Point. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. And that was what? Well, that's a technically unreleased. Well, they officially released it in the 90s, late mm-hmm. 90s. I bought it. It was like limited edition CD with like a lot of outtakes of Floyd of that era that are really interesting. So mm-hmm. if you ever come across it, uh, it I'd highly recommend it because it's really interesting seeing where they are. But when it comes to momentary lapse of reason, I'm hard pressed to find a good song. <laughs> and <laughs> which is rough because of all the albums re- we've done we can at least find one okay and and a lot of this i think may be coming with baggage you and i have floyd baggage with this paul and i have been hating on this album since high school <laughs> we which sure is, you know over 20 years ago <laughs> uh the closest song i can think of that i slightly enjoyed was on the turning away okay See, now I have a different one that I slightly enjoy, and that is One Slip. Oh, man, I hated One Slip. (laughs) I don't mind that one as much. Oh, you love the Michael Jackson thriller breakdowns in that? (laughs) There there is that. But just the chorus, the hook there, it kind of, there's something about it that just twinges just a just a tiny spark of of um of Pink Floyd nostalgia to me, and I don't, I can't place my finger on it, but I'm just like, ugh, there's something I'm hearing in there that is actual legit Pink Floyd to me. That's now, let's also talk a little bit about the fact that pretty much Pink Floyd prides themselves on being a concept album band. Yes, every album to them in some way after Barrett left was a concept album. You know, more was that. Now, Umaguma was interesting. I just want to talk a little bit about that because correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but my understanding of reading some of the things of Umaguma was outside the live disc. That was basically like a, okay, we're all going to write something and whoever writes the best stuff is going to become the leader of the ship. Kind of. It was put together piecemeal very much. Uh, they weren't, nobody was really comfortable. They didn't have a leader. Waters doesn't become the leader and the visionary until Dark Side of the Moon, where he just says, fuck it, I'm taking control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Uma Guma, is, it was them trying to do, like, four solo albums on one. It was basically their attempt at doing a white album. Yep, yep. Uh, so that's how that went. Um, and it's, you know, it's not their strongest, but it's not this bad. It's, it, it, it's, no. No. So let's talk about this. Let's go. Let's talk about why this was kind of sold as a solo, uh, not as a, a concept album. And it begins with Signs of Life, which kicks this album off, which has these sound effects. It sounds like there's like, you know, it's an intro that's four minutes long and it has a lot of like sound effect elements of like water on a dock. So given Pink Floyd's history, you would assume. This is the intro of a story, or at least a theme. Yep. You know, the wall had a story. 
Dark Side had themes for their concept. After this song, there is none of that. <laughs> There's attempts at it. And I, I want to point out that at the time, Gilmer was, you know, was said that when he was during the making of it, he wanted to approach a collection of th- songs without a thematic link. When that went over like a lead balloon, he changed his tune and said, well, this, the album's called Momentary Lapse of Reading. The, the, all these songs are about a mistake. Yeah, this whole album was a mistake, Paul. Like, pretty, like when you think about it, maybe it's the ultimate concept album. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very meta concept album. Is, yeah, yeah, this is is this the first meta concept album? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Signs of Life, which I like. I that that I don't mind. I don't mind it either. Uh, mm-hmm. Signs of Life and On the Turning Away and some other elements we'll kind of get into. Uh, they're all right. But they're recycled ideas from old, better albums. Yep. Yeah, there's like some yep. instrumental stuff on here. I think it's in Signs of Life where it's like Gilmore's playing these like very like nice acoustic kind of haunting little melodies. And I'm like, oh, I liked it better when it was Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Yes. <laughs> and, on the turning and, away, it's like, I liked this better when it was the chorus to, uh, you know, Comfortably Numb. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Turning the way on the turning way is really comfortably numb. Part two done by a um, dollar store version of David Gilmore and science of life. Like I like that one because I can hear the Rick Wright courts, the, the, you know, like, yes, that is very right. Um, I miss, you know, uh, well, we'll get into that, but um, yeah, learning to fly is garbage i'm sorry i know it gets a lot of air play again it's not a pink floyd song no this like, is this, this is a very fine david gilmore solo song yep. Uh, yep if it was sold as a gilmore solo song i'd probably like it a lot more exactly. that's where the pink floyd baggage really you and i comes in mm-hmm. yeah because there are songs on here really to my mind three songs i guess three songs <laughs> that could be and have been are, are, are the hits, which is learning to fly one slip and on the turning away. Those are the ones that you hear in radio play. When I hear learning to fly, though, I have to turn it off because I, I have that Pink Floyd baggage. If this had been on about face, I probably would like it. Yeah, I would probably say it would probably be one of his strongest solo mm-hmm. songs. Well, and the thing and is, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not, and I think people are going to misconstrue this because I'm really shitting on Gilmore, but this is a Gilmore album. I like a lot of his solo stuff. I think his first solo album is probably his best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about face. Yeah, no, David Gilmore. David oh yeah, Gilmore. yeah, David Gilmore. David Gilmore. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I. There's always... no way out of here. Is probably his Brilliant. best song he ever wrote. Yes. I have that on playlists. I love that song. No Way Out of Here is amazing. I do not like About Face. I actually hate that album. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, I had them flipped. That's my apology. I I had them flipped. I've been looking at so many different albums getting prepared for this one. Yes. So, Some Way Way Out of Here is, should have, like, if that was on here, that would have been epic to me. Yeah, that would have saved About Face a little bit for me. I mean, at least I'd be like, hey, at least there's one good song on here. Mm-hmm. That album suffers from a lot of the production issues I have with this, and is that's it's a very 80s-sounding album. 
Now let's talk about this because yes. Pink Floyd has a very distinctive sound. Mm-hmm. They go back to it with uh, Division Bell and then with uh, the Endless River. Endless River being the only Gilmore era Led Floyd album that I actually like. Yes. And to be true, that's more of their Beatles Let It Be album. Yeah. And it's also musically, it's reminiscent for me because I love Obscured by Clouds. Mm-hmm. It's yes. very reminiscent of that. Like it has, and it's instrumental. And I love Floyd instrumental so much. Yes. I have bootlegs, yes. bootlegs from high school of like their live stuff in the seventies before dark side. And it's phenomenal. And see, that's why I love Adam Hart mother because it's essentially just a 28 minute instrumental and it just takes you all these places. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. Uh, I think Alan psychedelic breakfast. Rudes. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Alan psychedelic breakfast is a great, but the title track Adam Hart yeah. mother is phenomenal. Yeah, and it's like Saucer Full of Secrets I love as an mm-hmm. instrumental. And then you got to remember this DNA goes all the way back to Sid with yes. Interstellar Overdrive. Exactly. That's and so where they kind all of, this yeah, grows yeah. in. So, so by the time they were doing Division Bell, they're kind of getting back in that groove. Here they're not. And that's the cardinal sin is like even the instrumentals aren't even interesting on here. <laughs> no. So after well, – let's get – after learning to fly, we get the first uh, – <laughs> Song that purposely makes you think of an earlier Floyd album, and that's the Dogs of War. Now, do- that the do- term Dogs of War is obviously reminiscent of World War II uh, terminology, which makes you automatically think of Roger Waters. <laughs> you know, that's one. You, two, two of Roger's big uh, inspirations is his dad dying in World War II and Sid Barrett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's made yeah. billions off of that. Yeah. Yeah, he's made billions off of that trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but with Dogs of War, and it, here's again, this is a song that starts kind of promising, except it's recycling. It feels very much like Welcome to the Machine. Yes. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of Welcome to the Machine on here, by the way. Yes, a lot of Welcome to the Machine. And again, he does it again with a song called A New Machine, Part 1 and 2. But then this album fall, really starts falling apart with Dogs of War. The lyrics are god awful. Uh, there's a sax solo for no fucking reason. <laughs> no, I the '80s sax man. What was it with the '80s and sax solos? And this is and this album sounds like Pink Floyd trying to make a Phil Collins era Genesis album, and that's probably what pisses me off the most. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Okay, I'm gonna read you some of these. Some of these trite lyrics that there is here. Can I? May I do that, Joe? Go right ahead. Invisible transfers, long-distance calls, hollow laughter in marble halls. Steps are taken. A silent uproar has unleashed the dogs of war. Fuck you. And like, and and and, and the chorus. One world is a battleground. One world, and we'll smash it down. One world. One world. What are you trying to say? And that's again. And that's where you wish. There's uh, there's a gaping uh, missing element in this whole thing, and that is the lyrics of Roger Waters. Now, Waters is not the strongest musician. In fact, he's probably the weakest of the band Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. But the man can write a fucking song. He's up there with like, he's in my top five lyricists of all time. Yeah, and you gotta think too. Okay, so this is the other thing I want to talk about. What's going on here is that we t- we we said there's the music. I mean, you had. 
the three guys essentially that were the music of Pink Floyd. And yet you got nothing like a Pink Floyd album. And you got this weird 80s. Like, this is almost like. That's why I said it was the, them doing a Collins Genesis era. Yes. This is like We yeah. Can't Dance kind of bullshit. Right. And don't, like, there was a lot of bands that did this in the 80s. And people questioned, like, what was going on? Well, there was this uh, evolution in the in the music and the sound. But <clears throat> it wasn't perfected. Yeah. And. <clears throat> Like technology and it it works. And here's the thing: there's a lot of like that Phil Collins drum sound where it's very echoey on here. Oh, that it sounds very drum. like a, much like a drum machine. Mm-hmm. There's bands who utilize. It also feels like they're trying to do new wave. And here's the thing: there's bands that did it that don't sound as dated as this. Yes, Devo comes to mind who utilize this kind of music. Blondie, Talking yep. Heads. <laughs> <laughs> They're not date like this is like you listen to this and you go, oh, that's a 1980s album. Isn't it? <laughs> this is 1980s, the album. Like this is more 80s sounding than neon neon stainless style. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I I can play. OK, I can play some Pink Floyd for my kids and they have no idea what air it's from. But they heard me listen to this and like that's from the 80s, isn't it, Dad? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Let's talk about One Slip, because you said this was one of your favorite songs. This is one of the songs I just... I was running errands today, driving around, listening to this in my car. And when this came on, I nearly vomited in my own mouth. Yeah, so there, like, I, there is something about this song. And it's maybe it's the a little bit lyrically, okay? It's also, uh, it's also the only song... To me, that the that the lyrics match the name of the damn album. <laughs> you know, once I mean, it's 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 one slip down a hole we fall. It seems to take no time at all. A momentary lapse of reason that binds a life for life. A small regret you won't forget. There'll be no sleeping here tonight. Like that little bit, I can go. Ooh, I hear some Floyd in there. Not necessarily musically. But a little bit lyrically, like I hear a like even though he doesn't have writing credit for it, I hear some write in there, like just the way that it's done. So there's like I said, there is something in there. The like I could skip the verses and all the freaking weird ass shit they do, but whenever that chorus comes on, it's like oh okay, I I like this chorus, and I think that's the only thing I can when it comes to this album, I can really say is. Yeah, I like the chorus to one slip. <laughs> yeah. And, but then it does this weird thing where it pretty much lifts from Michael Jackson's song Thriller, the breakdown with the bass. Mm-hmm. That sounds yeah. like it's like, you know, a pick running uh-uh. up a string. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yep. And yep. they what are you doing? <laughs> like I that, that I, listen, I haven't listened to this album in probably twenty plus years because it's it, it was really I remember buying this. And being excited to listen to it, and then just being just this is one of those few albums that I I have ever listened to where I felt embarrassed for the band. Mm-hmm. And me oh, at yeah. like fifteen was embarrassed for Pink Floyd. <laughs> like oh yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the side two, which is the worst side of it yet. Oh god! But before we so yeah, so one slip yeah that that weird Michael Jackson breakdown. It's just so jarring. The saxophone solos all over this fucking album. <laughs> It's 
It's, yeah. See, one thing I don't think of when I think of Pink Floyd is saxophone solos. Yeah, the <laughs> so, one I can think of is in Money. And it works yeah. for that because when <laughs> the, the sound of the brass gives it that edge with money, like silver. Shit, god damn it. They just fucking shit the bed with this. <laughs> they really shit the bed with this. Now, I want to point out real quick that the writers of this album, okay, Gilmore's on everything, okay? But the other writers are... Bob Ezrin, who worked on Signs of Life, which is just the instrumental with Nick Mason talking, by the way. Then you had Anthony Moore, Ezrin, and John Carran. Now, John Carran is of note because he also helped Roger Rodgers and... Um, the Who. He worked the with Who. The Who. Yep. And, and he worked with Gil- with Gilmore Solos. Yeah. Um, Anthony Moore is was a member of the band called Slap Happy and worked with Henry Cow. I like Henry Cow. So, well, there you go. So, Moore has credit on three of these songs. Um, Well, Phil Manzanera, who was in Oxy Music, another band I like, you know, because I love my Brian Eno. Yep. I like Brian Eno too. I do. I'll admit that. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And he, I mean, he did, he did one slip. Um, and, and let's you know, talk about Patrick Leonard. It's <laughs> what Madonna gave us True Blue, Who's That Girl, and Like a Prayer. Yeah. Yes. That really makes me think Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> that makes me think metal with echoes. Yeah, that even makes me think Final Cut, right? That even makes me think Animals. That makes me think any modern Pink Floyd album of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, this is... Yeah, this is... Another, it feels like it's too many cooks in the kitchen with the songwriting. You know what I mean? Yes. So, well, after one slip, we get on the turning away, which I like. But then again, it's recycled. It basically feels like a recycled ballad. It feels like it was on the cutting room floor of the wall. Yeah, kind of. Now that you bring that up. The wall or maybe even animals or like. Right. Even Wish You Were Here, maybe. Like, it feels like, yeah, it feels like classic Floyd, but it also. It feels recycled. Like it's like I I like this better when it was the chorus to comfortably numb. You know, like I said earlier, it's but it's the only song that I I, I wasn't violently angry with listening to. Yeah, I was I not mean, screaming in my car when this came on like the other songs. I I think I think what bothers me with on the turning away is it kind of has that crescendo, but it's hokey. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. I mean we're. We're not talking about a great set of songs. <laughs> Again, this is the weakest. So, Paul, let's get to side two. Oh, yet fuck. another movie. Oh, God. Why Why is this even here? Yes. Why is it here? I don't know. Patrick Leonard decided he wanted to do something. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, what did I write for this one? Should not be here. What the fuck? Yeah, that was my take. I was like, immediately, like side two is is bad. Like, oh. this whole side should have just been thrown out, and this should have just been an EP. Honestly, I don't think I'd hate this as much if it was just a five-song EP. Yeah, of just I would have been one. perfectly fine with this five-song EP, David Gilmer solo album. <laughs> yeah. But we get to this side, and it's it's weird. Because yet another movie, it's over six minutes long, and it's highly forgettable. And then you get round and around, <laughs> which is like the worst instrumental. Like I, I, I should like it. I'm like, it's a Pink Floyd instrumental. I should like it. No, I don't. No, and that goes right into a new machine part one, which I put in my notes. 
is the music you hear when you're having a stroke. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a str- it's bad. Okay, first of all, um, it doesn't. He, I, I, it's supposed to sound like it, but that weird vocal synthesizer just sounds off. Oh God, yeah. And again, this go this makes you think. Welcome to the machine from Wish You Were Here. It's like he's he's purpose. They're loading these song titles up to make you think Pink Floyd. It, it's Floyd in name only, and this is the you know this in the final cut. I I would just argue, I would argue are not Pink Floyd albums, and I like the final cut, but it's a Roger Waters solo album, and this is a David Gilmore solo album. They are just selling this under the banner of Pink Floyd, which is just. Gross. And now we get <laughs> Terminal Frost, which I put in my notes. It's <laughs> it sounds like theme music from an 80 sports movie. <laughs> dude, dude, I I shit you not, I had the same thing. Yes. <laughs> and then my other note was fucking sax solos. <laughs> It sounds like it needs to be in an 80s fucking football movie or baseball movie or hockey movie. Yeah, I was thinking like a hockey movie mm-hmm. or, yeah, football. God, yeah, this is like Slapshot 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A piece of shit song to go to a piece of shit sequel. Oh, my God. And, and the fact that it's bookended in the weirdest way by a New Machine Part 1 and a New Machine Part 2, which... Are the dumbest things. I have always been here. I've always been behind these eyes. What are you trying to say? Are you are you sneakily saying you've always been in Pink Floyd, Gilmer? Because you haven't. You haven't. You haven't, Gilmer. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Gilmer. Come on, Gilmer. Get on, get on the bus, Gilmer. Yeah. You're getting us so angry, sounding like we're having strokes or seal. <laughs> You're your son giving me a stroke, Gilmer. Get back to the guitar solos and cut out the sex shit. Oh God! And then this is this ends with uh, sorrow, an eight-minute song that again is pretty forgettable. And I will say I did like kind of the intro to this song. I like the kind of the guitar work, and this is the the guitar work I want to get because when we were in high school, the defenders of this album were always like, "Well, the solos are awesome." No. When I listen to music, I don't care how fucking impressive your guitar work is. If I don't feel anything, and then I, it, it do, if I don't feel anything, if it doesn't add to the music, I don't care. Like I'm not impressed with technical players a lot of the time. Like I've seen Joe Satriani live. I couldn't name you one song because it's just it's technical prowess, and yeah, it's it's impressive, mm-hmm. but I don't want to listen to it. Yep. Like if you can thing with Gilmer. Gilmer is <laughs> he's he's such an emotive guitarist. He's such a dreamlike yes. guitarist, and he makes you feel things. Like even like even on the final cut, his solos on there like wrench your soul. And we don't get it here. And like it, yeah, it's technically impressive what he's doing, but I don't give a shit because again, I don't give a shit about technical prowess when it comes to bands. I get more emotion of like say. The Ramones yelling, hey, ho, let's go, than I would out of fucking Steve Vai. Okay, I was going to bring up Steve Vai because I there is some Steve Vai that I like, right? Because um, there are some songs where he does that solo and stuff. I mean, it's kind of – some of his 80s stuff is 80s. Yeah, when I hear Gilmore, I want to hear that guitar in a structure that 
works. And I don't feel like any of these structures are working. The problem with this album, I think musically, if it makes any sense, is it's too loose. It doesn't, yeah. there's nothing really, there's no good connective tissue in the songs. Yeah. And with guitar solos, it's, it's a compliment to, it shouldn't be the song, you know, like comfortably numb works because it's a great compliment to like how the song is going. It reflects the lyrics. You know what I mean? Even when you go to like mother on the wall, it's like a pretty simple guitar solo, but he bends those notes to make you feel something, you know, when it, so when it comes to guitar, it's like, say I, I like Stevie Ray Vaughan a lot because he gets more emotion out of like two notes than Steve Vai or Satriani will get out of like 10,000. Mm-hmm. That's what's important to me. And that's just me. Like if you're tech, if you love technical music, that's fine. I'm not yes. going to shit on it. It's just for me, that's not what I'm interested in when I'm approaching music. Yep. And I, I'll tell you this. I actually do enjoy some of that technical stuff, but I go in knowing, right? Like, Technical, uh, but when I hear Gilmore, it's not just, man, that Gilmore solo is amazing. No, it's the things that led. Like when I think about Comfortably Numb, it was the buildup to that solo. And then that solo pushed it over the edge. And then it came back down a little bit. And then it built up to the second solo. Same thing with Dog, uh, with, with the song Dogs from Animals. Not Dogs of War, mind you. Fuck that. <laughs> but Dogs. The, 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 the technical guitar work is amazing and more noteworthy because the song itself yep. is has that good, strong, as I said earlier, connective tissue. Yeah, it's it's complementing it. It's building off the song, mm-hmm. which is another important thing with guitar solos. And on this album, it feels like the guitar solos are just there to be there like they don't really build off anything they're just like hey i can do this and like that's fine i guess but i don't care (laughs) again it's like if you're not leading me somewhere and especially with pink floyd because pink floyd's such a dreamlike band with like you know very heavy topics at least before this sack of shit came out (laughs) (laughs) you know and like themes and like the guitar work built on those themes and rick writes piano work built off these themes and it was just like great and then you get this and it's just it's how many songs it's like 11 songs of like synth pop nonsense and i like synth pop and this makes you and i yes you and i like synth pop yeah and this makes synth pop look terrible yeah not only did it make pink floyd look bad it made synth pop look bad and they should feel bad for doing this (laughs) i completely agree with you and then you end on sorrow which is just Fuck, I'm just, I'm so out by the time Sorrow comes in. Again, the side two, I don't know what it was attempting. It looked like they were trying to do a medley type thing. It's a bad medley, though. It's not connected. Like I said, it's not connected. There's no, there's no musical theme between it. No, but like there's songs clocking in at 38 seconds, minute, less than two minutes. Remember when the Beatles did that on Abbey Road? Let's do that, but like do it completely wrong. See, I think this is more of... I think Gilmore had some solo stuff, like learning to fly, one slip on the turning away. I think he had some of that stuff already kind of in the in the in, in his mind. And I do feel like that this should have been an EP, but again, the record company wanted a Pink Floyd album, not a Pink Floyd EP. And I feel like that when they came in, they had this thing, and then they have to do another 25 minutes. They had nothing. You know, the truth is. 
things weren't good with 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 Wright. I mean, it, it was um, was it wasn't it Gilmore's wife that had to ask him? No, Wright, Wright's wife asked if he yes. could stay on it, and yeah. he's been you know I, I believe at this time he's sober, but he's just like you know he hasn't played in a long time. Uh, Mason's barely on it. Uh, like Gilmore was just not impressed with their playing style, which when your two other music collaborators in the band are not even on all the songs, this is not a Pink Floyd album then. It's just not. No, this is a not. David Gilmore solo album this featuring members of Pink Floyd. album, really, to my mind. It's it's the Gilmore... Uh, uh, uh. Now, here's what pisses me off. In 2016, Nick Shilton chose Momentary Last of Reason as the top 10, as one of the top 10 essential 80s prog rock albums for prog. That's like I don't know what this guy is on. Well, he's he's a chucklehead, Paul. <laughs> he's, he's he suffers from severe chuckleheadonitis. So if Nick Shilton, Nick Shitton, if you hear this, yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Nick Shitton, <laughs> come on, Gilmer, come on, Gilmer, you shit, get on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it 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 wasn't really you know, uh, and the thing is. Pr- I'm reading up on it. Like Gilmore presents a return to older Pink Floyd sound, which is bullshit. It's not. It sounds he's trying to sound contemporary of the times, which that doesn't work, especially if you're an older band who already have an established sound. It just like I don't mind bands taking a chance musically, like try something out of left field. But that wasn't this. This was them trying to make a hit album. And when you're trying to make a hit album, it doesn't work. Yeah, uh, it doesn't. No, you can't be trying. You got to be in the moment. You talk about these things that they go, man. They came in there. They did this thing. This was, I think, ego, is what this was. The problem with this is it was record. It was record interference. It was Gilmore's ego to try and prove something to Waters. And there was too much negativity all around this, and that I think really took everyone out of the uh, creation process. If this was sold as a Gilmore solo album, I think it wouldn't be as the fan base probably wouldn't be as negative about it. But when you put something, you put Pink Floyd's name on it, and it's is just it falls under par, and it's because of it's it's basically a solo album. Again, this you know there's a reason why people don't like the final cut. It's not a Pink Floyd album. This is not a Pink Floyd album. These these two kind of. Is a weird era where they released two solo albums yes. under the guise of Floyd. I, I, I will say Final Cut felt more like a Pink Floyd album to me than this one did. Like, if I had to compare and go, man, which one's closer to being a Pink Floyd album? Hands down, it's going to be the Final Cut. Yep, my opinion is neither. Neither sound like a Floyd album. <laughs> they just don't. This is their weakest album out of their whole catalog. And they don't have the strongest catalog. And I say that as this is one of my favorite bands. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. Because when you go over their body of work, the positivities outweigh the negativities. Now, I wanted, I was going to circle back and say, one, at one time, rec- didn't recommend Music by the Elder. I take that back after listening to this album. Like, this album is atrocious. It's so bad that I go, man, you know what? I forgot how bad this was and like what really bad music is out there. I'm, I had no right shitting on music from the altar as bad as I did. 
no, no. You can you can hate both albums. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, again, who's the what's the common thread between that and this? These these two terrible albums. It's Bob Ezrin. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about Bob Ezrin's uh, collaboration on this as I do uh, with the Kiss one because Kiss have been pretty open about his drug abuse and all that. Yes. When it comes to Floyd, it's harder to get information. Uh, Gilmore's just, he's not a talkative guy. He's just a quiet guy, so it's hard to get a lot of information out of him. Uh, of the band, Waters is probably the most vocal about the processes, and uh, he's not on this album, so... Right. <clears throat> and that's right. where, like, most of the information on the lawsuit comes out of is, is Roger Waters. Is Roger Waters, not Gilmore. Yep. Gilmore basically said it, there's a there's a better balance between the lyrics and uh, music and uh lyrics than on this than on later albums water set of the albums i think it's very um um quite clever uh, f- a forgery the songs are poor in general the lyrics i can't quite believe gilmore's lyrics are third rate Wright later said water's criticisms were fair yeah i've read interviews with gilmore where he's He's not entirely thrilled with how this album came out either. But it, it's like a transitional time for them to actually kind of go back and being a stronger musical band. And I'll say that with uh, when I listen to Division Bell, musically it sounds stronger than uh, even up at, you know, with even like The Wall. I'd say that a lot of the music, music-wise, it's stronger. Uh, it's just, you know, conceptually it's not as strong as waters. And that's the thing that would make Pink Floyd such a great dynamic was the vision, the lyrics combined with the music. So you can have the most interesting music in the world, but if you're not engaging me with the words, don't have them on there. then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, Gilmore has, he never found a strong lyrical replacement for waters. He went to his wife. Uh, she's an author, but she's, you know, I don't. She she doesn't have like that chip on her shoulder. I think that Waters had, and she leaned more heavily into like the dreamy elements and the surreal and you know whatever. I I see why people like Division Bell. It's it's still not my like I said. Endless River is my favorite because it doesn't have any lyrics except for the last song, and I just <laughs> stop when that one starts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll personally, I'm going to be very honest, I did not like the final Pink Floyd album. I listened to it once and was like, I never need to hear it again. Yeah, um, it was really, de- it was, well, it was depressing to me is what it was. Because, and even Division Bell, like, to me, as a Pink Floyd fan, Momentary Lapse of Reason, Division Bell, and that final album are reminders of where the band went and where and I'm just constantly going where they could have gone, and I know that's very much how people felt about the Beatles too. Um, you know, White Album was very, was very, very, very divisive at the time. Yeah, it's four solo albums on one, <laughs> basically, basically. But yeah, I, I just I listen to these albums, and all I can think of is, man, what didn't we get? What didn't we get? You know. Well. I'll, let me clue you in on something. Listening to Radio Chaos from Waters, even if he was in this band and they did this, we're not missing out on much. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I'll be honest with you. I like Radio Chaos much more than this. I think they're both equally garbage. Uh, 
I'm not a big fan of water solo stuff outside of pros and cons in the final cut. That's right. I'm calling final cut. A solo yeah, album. no, that's fair. It's totally uh, fair. I, the last album he did, I liked from a few years ago. Yes. I was a fan of, I'm a fan of pros and cons, uh, radio chaos and, um, amused to death. Well, you just uh, said you're a fan of all his solo albums. <laughs> well, no, he did. He did a couple other, but oh, no, uh, he didn't. He did yes, like he an did. opera. Oh, yeah, he did the opera. That's right. Yeah, that's not really a solo album. You just said you're a fan of all his solo. Albums. Okay, fine. I'm a fan of Roger Waters solo. I feel like I get more Pink Floyd. Yeah, I don't get a whole lot of anything from, especially those '80s solo albums he did. That last one he did, I really enjoyed. Uh, but it, I felt like that was him more coming into his own. He's finally like uh, escaped the Floyd sound and expectations with that last one, where Radio Chaos and Amused to Death, like it felt like he was still leaning heavy on that, trying to make a Floyd sounding album without Floyd. It, again, like these guys just, they were better together than apart. <laughs> yes, this is okay. Comparing the Beatles again, because these are two very comparable bands. Roger Waters, I mean, uh, Roger Waters to me was the John Lennon. And I I don't like a lot uh, of John Lennon's solo stuff, but there's things lyrically that I enjoy, right? When I say I like Amused to Death, there's maybe like four or five songs that I listen to lyrically and I go, wow, he makes sense. When I look at the overall story that Radio Chaos is telling, I'm like, wow, I like that story. Pros and cons of hitchhiking is just phenomenal in my mind. I'm sorry. The the combination of Roger Waters' lyrics with Eric Clapton's guitar work is magical. Yeah, I love pros and cons. Yeah. And let's let's just bring that up real quick here. Let's talk about the pros and cons. Pros and cons was was Roger Waters after animals. Um, locked himself in a hotel room and came out with two albums and said, We're either gonna do the wall or we're gonna do pros and cons of hitchhiking. And the band went. The pros and cons of hitchhiking is way too personal. We're going to do the wall. <laughs> and funny thing, Gilmore liked pros and cons better. He just said he, he voted for the wall because it was stronger musically for him. Like he thought he, when they did that vote, Gilmore went with the wall just because it, it would be more for him to contribute with. And I think that was the right call. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, all right, Joe. <laughs> Jesus Christ, can we end this nightmare? Can we? Can we? So, Paul, would you recommend a momentary lapse of reason? I would rather have you take the actual CD album and try to shove it up my ass than to listen to this again. <laughs> you know what, Paul? I would not suggest this album. <laughs> and I, yeah, so far, Ezrin is 0 for 2 with us. Yeah, on, he's getting on, a real on. beating, and I'm starting to really question his productions. Uh, just a little bit. I, we might have to dig in. We might do an Ezrin month. Maybe we should think about that Like some at some point. Do Bob Ezrin month, because I think we, we we owe it to that. Well, at least we could do The Wall and Kisses Destroyer and actually listen to some good fucking music by these two bands. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. So, yeah, no, that's two no's. Stay away from it. Really, honestly, stay away from anything. Um, um, and anything after really anything after the wall, I mean, you can listen to final cut, but it's not going to be pink Floyd. Um, you know, if you like the music, if you like Gilmore's playing and Richard Wright's 
playing uh, Division Bell and Endless River. There's something there for you. So I'll give that caveat with that. I mean, it's uh, I really like uh, Wright's playing on Endless River. Uh, I actually listened to that again for the first time not too long ago, and I was actually pretty impressed. Okay. And I, I wondered why a lot of this fell on the cutting room floor, but you know, I wasn't there. And again, Gilmore's notoriously tight lipped with things. So, so yeah, yeah I mean, Gilmore is a bastard that way. Yeah. He's passive. Like, you know, he always ends up looking good. And like the war of words and waters, cause he's very passive aggressive where waters doesn't like, he doesn't hold punches back. Mm-hmm. So he always ends up looking like the dick, but these two both are on the Mount Rushmore of assholes in rock history. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but yeah, it's uh, with those two albums. Yeah, I can I can see elements on there that you know you you can appreciate. Uh, this album and the final cut are the two albums I would say really don't belong in the the catalog. They just they're just not Floyd albums. They are uh, they're j- they're solo albums masquerading, and it's uh, it's too bad because. On their own as solo albums, they'd be a lot stronger, I'd say. But yeah, coming with the baggage of Pink Floyd, that comes with expectations, and they both <clears throat> fell short of the glory. Yeah, yeah. All right. I yes, 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 yes. yes. Oh, that's enough of this piece of shit album, Paul. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't disagree with you in any of what you said. But you I know, really I, do, I really love Final Cut, and I think it has some of Gilmore's really fine guitar playing. Oh, and it, it, if you, uh, yes. And if you and the look song, at it, the final cut is probably one of Roger Waters' strongest songs. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I used to do that for karaoke, actually. That's awesome. You should do a cover <laughs> of that. I should. You know, if we can get the YouTube channel to uh, 100 subscribers, because I still want to hit that 50 mark. But if we can get the YouTube channel to 50 subscribers, I'm going to do um, you and I cover. Um, from Twin Peaks, and we get to 100, I will happily do a um, final cut cover. So those are two awesome. things on the table. Um, <laughs> that was something, huh? That was something. I feel something. like we exercised a lot of demons we've had in this album. <laughs> kind of. I think like, this, this is had the more F-bombs dropped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially by you. You tend to be a little bit more reserved on on, on the F-bombs. Me, I just let them fly, but, you know. This album know. just rubs me the wrong way, man. Like, it's, like, I get, like, you, you've seen Full Metal Jacket. Oh, I yeah. I get that thousand-yard stare when I think about this album. <laughs> yes, and I think having listened to it all this week and being angry, there was a lot of catharsism here of just venting our <laughs> frustration over it especially since again you and i this is our hated album we know it was hated but it's been a long time since either of us listening to it and then going back to it being like even worse like it's aged like it's aged like piss water <laughs> yeah no, it has not aged well at all all right paul who do you have coming up so um yes we are going to have the first episode of stranger things um coming up i am in the process of editing that um i am in the when uh we'll be recording this week of the of the, this um podcast uh the next episode of um cast that movie as well um so yeah what do you guys have going on over at the Joedown? what movie are you guys casting again oh uh we are casting bug oh that's right 
Yes, Bug with Ashley Judd and um, Michael Shannon. And Michael, Sh- and Michael Shannon. Yeah. It's funny you guys are doing this because I just rewatched, uh, not rewatched, I watched for the first time all the way through Boardwalk Empire, and Michael Shannon is in that, and he's mm-hmm. such a phenomenal actor. Uh, I, I personally love, if you, if you want to see something amazing, if you haven't done it, check out his Funny or Die that he did of the um, sorority house letter. Uh, if you have not seen this, it's amazing. <laughs> like, I'm just laughing thinking about it. There was a controversial letter years ago. The story was um, that the sorority put out just calling out. And it was his email that got leaked out and caused this huge controversy for this college and the, and the sorority house itself. And Michael Shannon reads it verbatim. <laughs> is it on is it on par with the Gilbert Godfrey reading Fifty Shades of Grey? Uh different level. I love that too. Uh, especially at the end. Oh, just, God, this is hot. <laughs> but just I mean, he goes full Zod. Like he hasn't even been casted as Zod yet. He goes full Zod in this. He's an intense actor. Like that's that's why I love him. And so <clears throat> the week we're recording this, the Joe Down. We just put out our review of Tango and Cash, the 1989 Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, clusterfuck movie, uh, a movie that when I started reading into it, I'm surprised that it hasn't been done as a castless movie. (laughs) Well, okay, so I'm going to talk about that. It was on the docket. It was on the docket for season one at some point. Because the production... Well, the production, but the writing. Okay, so you have to understand that this was going to be a different movie entirely. With Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, it was supposed to be a completely different movie. And it's just not what it was. Um, And then then, um, really, once Stallone got involved, he went full Cobra on it. Yeah, rewriting the script every day. (laughs) Yes, yes. And that, like... Yeah, so I know all about it because it was one of the things I was researching for it. So I was so excited when you guys did it. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's something else. Holy shit! Uh, but I love Kurt Russell and I love James Hong. So at least they, it has that in it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, I remember my parents rented it when it came immediately when it came out on on, on VHS. Um, but yeah, after that, then we're on a hiatus. Uh, okay, it's just Brown's busy season, so. Well, that's interesting because I was going to bring up an idea to you as well. And I thought, much like cast that movie, we could do... Well, I'll, I'll talk to you about it off air, and then you can make a yes or no. I don't want to put anything um, um, out there. So, ask me, Joe, what are we doing next week? Oh, it's your album pick, man. Mm-hmm. It is my album pick. I what am. Are you I, picking? <laughs> I need a break from the bad, dude. I really need a break from the bad. Um, oh, you'll pay for this. Don't think you won't pay. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to do what I think might be the greatest concept album ever made. We are going to do um, uh, The Lamb Lays Down on Broadway by Genesis, the final album with Gabriel, with Peter Gabriel. Yeah, I'm not familiar with a lot of the Genesis stuff. I'm a huge uh, solo Peter Gabriel fan. Yeah, me too. Like I, I used, to, I, I used to do Red Rain for karaoke. Yeah, his, the so album is so fucking phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like, 
yeah, but his like first few couple solo albums are just so great and weird. I love them, uh, but I just never got into Genesis. Probably just the memories of uh, I can't dance bullshit, the Phil Collins stuff. I just blame you, Phil. Blame you for momentary lapse of reason. We're gonna we're we're gonna talk about because we are gonna do I think I'm gonna be bringing out not in a row obviously but at time they'll be bringing out different Genesis albums and um, there is some there is actually one non Gabriel album that is amazing I don't believe you there is I think you're a dirty liar <laughs> I think this is Trump levels of delusion <laughs> are you being held hostage Paul. <laughs> uh you can't see Phil me blinking have a twice. Your head. you can't see me blinking twice no actually there is and we will dive into it at some point i don't want to give anything away i don't want to say anything because i want you to hear it when we do it but now i'm going to warn you um audience's wealth um this is like a 98 minute album so there's going to be a lot to discuss all right i look forward to it so, um, but I'm interested to see your opinion of it as a concept album having never, no, you've never heard it, correct? Nope. Never have. Okay. I'm really interested to see your take on it. Well, so I mean, if it's Pierre Gabriel, I'm, I'm all on board, man. <laughs> I think you're, I honestly think you're really going to like it. And I think the audience, if you guys haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to listen to these albums before we do it and then see if our take matches with your take. Um, Please and again, get us to fifty subscribers. Get us to hundred subscribers. Um, but, uh, Joe, what, fuck it, you take us out of here. I'm I'm brain dead. <laughs> Paul, you see the dogs of war.